The following podcast contains true stories of sex, kink, gender, or body image, and you need to be a consenting adult to listen. So, thanks for that, and here we go. Get used to it Everyone tells me I'm too much Maybe it's just you're not enough for me Can't you see I'm the kind of woman I'm supposed to be Hi there, and welcome to the Body Storytelling Podcast. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delatour, and this week we have a story from sex, kink, and relationship writer Kate Sloan. Before we go any farther, I want to tell you about something really special. If you've ever fantasized about listening to dirty stories in a federal building, this is your chance. On Saturday, July 17th, we are performing Body Storytelling's Science Friction Show. And that means deep, deep nerd stories. We're going to be doing it in the courtyard of the United States Mint, a federal building. And we are going to have true stories from Meg Elison, Reed Mahalko, CJ, a lot of bootay, and music by Rachel Lark. We only have this location for just another month. So please make sure you join us. It's beautiful. It's outdoor. Bring a coat or lay in bed in your pajamas because it's a hybrid show and we're live streaming this live show. There's a link to tickets in the show notes. And remember, Saturday, July 17th, we want you there with us for science friction. Storytelling is the ultimate self-care. It's escape, it's entertainment, and you can learn so much from listening to them. Put more stories in your ears and make it all about you for a while, because if you need to unwind and let go, you can reset and reconnect with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Dipsy features believable characters and stories that transport you to a better place. To me, that's great storytelling. And Dipsy releases new stories every week, so there's always more to explore, no matter who or what turns you on. Plus, Dipsy also has wellness sessions to help you learn more about yourself, and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off to sleep. Best of all, Dipsy offers you unlimited access to their library of well over 400 short, sexy stories. We know you love stories because you're a listener of the Body Storytelling Podcast. They know it too. So right now, Dipsy is offering you a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash D-I-X-I-E. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash Dixie. Savor some new sexy stories and create some in-person pleasure for yourself. Head over to dipsystories.com right now and tell them I sent you by using the promo code Dixie. It's time for a story. So let's meet this week's storyteller. 
Kate Sloan is a writer who specializes in sex, kink, and relationships. Her writing has appeared in publications like Cosmopolitan, Teen Vogue, and Glamour, and her award-winning sex blog, girlyjuice.net, has been going strong for nearly a decade. She also co-hosts the acclaimed podcasts, The Dildorks and Question Box. Her book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is forthcoming from Lawrence King Publishing in October. You can keep up with her work by following her on Twitter or Instagram at Girly Juice. This storyteller is Kate Sloan. I'm lying on my back on a big white bed in a New York City hotel room late at night. I'm naked. I'm blindfolded. My limbs are splayed out. Vulnerable. I'm feeling submissive and turned on, but also kind of nervous, kind of scared. My partner is walking around me slowly and writing words on my body in Sharpie. And while I can't see them, I can feel the cold, wet squeak of the marker against my hot skin. When they're done, they take off my blindfold and tell me, go look in the mirror. And I get up and walk into the bathroom and put the lights on. In the mirror, I suddenly see all the words that they've been writing on me this whole time. There's beautiful across one breast, smart along one thigh, accomplished across my bicep, talented on the inside of a forearm. And on my stomach, it says, I'm so in love with you. I can see them standing behind me in the mirror, smirking, leaning against the doorframe, admiring their handiwork. I'm trying to look happy and grateful, but it's hard because I have this creeping suspicion that everything they wrote on me might be a lie. What if they don't really love me? What if they don't really think I'm beautiful, smart, accomplished, talented? What if this is all a trick? What if they're hiding something from me? Let's flash back six months or so. I've been flirting with this person on Twitter, the mysterious at MB. I don't know very much about them. All I know is that they live in New York City, they work in tech, they're an excellent flirt, and their face in their Twitter profile picture is outrageously, stupefyingly gorgeous. They look like the non-binary love child of Scarlett Johansson and Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man. These huge blue eyes that seem to be staring through the computer screen and into my very soul. These rosy pink lips twisted into the slightest dominant smirk. This is the type of person who, if I saw them at a party, I would be too intimidated to talk to them, but I would still really want to. But despite me feeling like they're wildly out of my league, we've been flirting via public tweets. I wrote a sex toy review. They loved it. We talked about it. And now we're starting to flirt via private message as well. And they say, hey, if you're ever in New York and want to grab coffee with a Twitter admirer, I would love that. And as it happens, I'm going to New York a few weeks later to hang out with some friends of mine. The mysterious at MB shows up at the Midtown Cafe wearing a blue button-down that really brings out those eyes I've been staring at on Twitter. I'm Matt, they say, holding out their hand, and I shake their hand and there's a warm flood of feelings through me. I giggle and blush a lot as we chat about work and relationships, movies, music, and sex, of course. I feel really out of my depth. They're this super cool big city app developer and I'm this shy, nervous, plain-looking Canadian freelance writer. But they seem interested in me anyway, and they keep asking me questions about my life. At one point, I'm telling them about an article I've recently written about sex robots, and those sparkling blue eyes are fixed on me, 
Like, they don't want to miss a single word I'm saying. And it reminds me in a weird way of all the terrible dates I've been on with Tinder boys who would monologue at me about their ambitions and dreams for an hour over craft beer and then take me back to their place for the inevitable sad, bad sex. I remember this one guy who was doing some stuff to my clit that hurt, and I was like, hey, can you not do that on the tip of my clit, but instead on the side of my clit? Um, and he looked at me like I had said something in a foreign language. He was like, what? And uh, I happened to be wearing, because I'm a sex nerd, a necklace that was a 3D-printed internal clitoris. And I said, you know, instead of doing it here, do it here. And he looked at it, he was like, is that the Special K logo? <laughs> <laughs> but with Matt, it's immediately so different. I say, I feel like you're really listening to me. And they look confused and they say, I am. And I believe them. I'm not really sure if they're into me or just being nice until at the end of the date we wind up in an empty room in a nearby office building. And suddenly the flirty tension that's been building up during our conversation comes to a head as they grab me by my waist and pull me toward them and kiss me. I'm very submissive and they have this dominant energy that makes my head spin. And before I even know what's happening, I'm over their lap on a gray couch by the window, and they're giving me the best spanking I've ever received on a first date. It's rhythmic, rough, stern, and occasionally their hand slips between my legs where my panties are getting noticeably wet. They call me a good girl, and I melt, wanting so much to be good for them. A couple days later, I'm at LaGuardia Airport, waiting to board my flight back home to Toronto after my whirlwind trip. And Matt texts, if I can ask, what's your flight number? I'm kind of suspicious because no one's ever asked me this before. So I joke, why, are you worried the flight's going to crash? And they say, not at all. I just like watching the plane fly through the air across the map in my phone tracking app, especially when there's a cute person on it. And I blush. But I still think it's a bit much, but I send them the number and they add, hope your bruised ass doesn't hurt too bad in those airplane seats. <laughs> The day after I get home, by which point Matt and I have been texting a lot and flirting and even kind of sexting a little bit, they message me, keep an eye on the mail today. And I have not given them my mailing address, so I'm confused and a little bit alarmed. I wait by the door for the mailman, and it turns out that they've just sent me a book from my Amazon wish list. It's Bluettes by Maggie Nelson, which is this beautiful book of prose poetry about love and romance and the color blue. But even so, the feeling persists. Am I being tricked? Am I being lied to? Why would someone so beautiful, so charming, so devilishly kinky be interested in someone like me? Once I'm settled and back at home, I go to my friend Sarah's house for a girls' night. Sarah sort of looks like if the comedian Amy Schumer had pink hair and wore pink lipstick and pink dresses. And we like to get together in her pink room to drink pink wine and gossip with her cats across our laps. I tell her the whole story of my trip, the date, the kisses, the spanking, and a few glasses of wine in, I say, I just don't really believe or trust anyone who says that they're into me because why would they be? And she looks at me and says very kindly, very diplomatically, I think you should examine that. And I say, no, but listen, I read this news story a few years ago about some police officers in the UK who went undercover to try to infiltrate this environmental activist group. They ended up dating women in the group under their false personas, and some of them even married these women and had kids with them. And it left me with the feeling that you can just never really trust other people. You can never know what's in their heads. Whatever they say, whatever they do, 
could all be a lie. And she says again, very gently, okay, but I don't think this mad person is a spy. And I really wish that I felt the same. Matt and I fall into a serious long distance relationship very quickly. Soon we're talking on the phone for hours every night and flying back and forth once a month or so to spend a weekend together. We're staying in cool hotels, we're eating at fancy restaurants, we're sipping expensive cocktails, and we're having a lot of sex. One day, they're fulfilling an old medical play fantasy of mine, where I'm receiving a hysteria treatment in the form of Matt forcing an orgasm out of me with their fingers and their hands and a vibrator. I come so hard, trembling and yelling, that my vision whites out for a moment, and I forget, just for that little moment, that I'm nervous and I'm insecure and I'm unsure of myself. And as I float back to Earth, I think, if they were a spy, why would they go this far for me sexually? Why would they do all these kinky things with me? But then I think, well, aren't some spies also kinky? <laughs> and wouldn't it be advantageous for them to make me think our kings line up really well? Like, wouldn't that keep me around for longer? We go to a Halloween party together with a bunch of Matt's friends who are mostly all app developers. And we're standing around in the kitchen, and I'm wearing a sequined flapper dress, and Matt's dressed as a magician with a top hat and is making some cocktails. And because it's Halloween, we all get into a conversation about weird fears. Somebody says they're really freaked out by elevators, and somebody else is really freaked out by spiders. And I've had a few drinks, so I'm like, oh, weird thing. Um, sometimes I think that Matt might be a spy and is lying to me about our whole relationship. <laughs> and someone says, well, that would be really weird because then they'd have to be paying all of us to be here. And I laugh along with everybody, but inside my head, I'm kind of thinking, well, how do I know that they didn't? <laughs> I just feel like I stepped into someone else's life. It's just too glamorous and too romantic to really be my life. I feel like Julia Roberts being spoiled with room service strawberries and bubble baths and pretty woman. I worry that people in public are staring at us and wondering how someone who looks like me could be with someone who looks like Matt, even as I've got their carefully given bruises and words written on my skin under my clothes. The silly thing is, I don't really think I have any information or access that a spy would want. My dad works in public relations and has some government contacts, and my mom used to be an entertainment reporter, so she knows some movie stars and famous musicians, but not very well. It doesn't really seem like enough to get me targeted by an international espionage operation. But what other explanation could there be for this absurdly handsome, seemingly sweet person taking such an interest in me? I just can't figure it out. So one day I decide I have to come clean with Matt about this. I explain my whole delusion. They're barely phased. They joke, so you think I'm a sex spy? I explain how it probably came partly from that weird UK news article I read, but also probably it partly came from the time I was 15 and I had just come out as bisexual and I was really anxious to connect with other queer girls. And this blonde girl in my class, Bianca, was talking to me on MSN Messenger and told me that she was bisexual too, and maybe we'd like to go on a date sometime. And I said yes, but then she told me she took it all back. She was joking the whole time. And she said she was going to leak our chat log to the entire school. I was so embarrassed and devastated. I laid on my bed crying for an entire day. I couldn't eat or sleep or talk to anyone. And Matt said, well, yeah, that sounds traumatic. I can understand why you're feeling this way, but I'm not a spy. I'm really for real into you. Eventually, I go see a psychiatrist about getting medicated because 
this paranoia is really starting to wear thin for me. My doctor is calm and wise and calls me Miss Sloan as he asks me about my mental health. I tell him about my depression, my anxiety. He scribbles a prescription for an antidepressant. And then I add, oh yeah, and sometimes I think my partner might be a spy who's only pretending to want me so they can extract secrets from me or something. I, is that weird? <laughs> There's a beat while the doctor takes in this information and peers at me over his wire-rimmed glasses. And I wonder if he thinks I'm totally insane. I probably am. But with no judgment in his voice, he says, Miss Sloan, that sounds like it's related to the feelings of worthlessness and shame that can accompany depression. So I think the medication will help. Turns out, he's right. Nothing happened magically or immediately, but over months of taking my pill every day, I start to feel less sad and scared all the time. I start to see that my delusion is almost certainly an illusion, and the illusion starts to dissolve in front of my eyes. I start to believe more fully that my partner, Matt, who demonstrates their love to me tirelessly day after day, might actually really love me. Might actually really think I'm beautiful, special, and worth staying with. This story has a happy epilogue. Two years later, in Madison Square Park, we get married, surrounded by our friends. As I'm saying my vows, I look into those clear blue eyes that caught my attention so long ago on Twitter, and I know that Matt is still really listening to me. I know they're really in love with me. I know that we're going to have incredible wedding night sex tonight, just as perverted and weird as we've always been. And I know that those words that they wrote on me, beautiful, smart, accomplished, talented, those weren't a lie, a trick, a conspiracy. Those were a love letter from the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, who wants to spend the rest of their life with me too.
was Spy in the House of Love by Was Not Was. Somehow, we have gone from a live stream to a live show to a live stream of a live show. The hybrid show we're creating, which is a live stream of our live show broadcast from San Francisco. I'm really proud of what we're creating. I was worried it's a granite courtyard that we're beaming in from, but the team has been working really, really hard, and the last one was a thing of beauty. If you support us on Patreon, you get that live stream. You get it at a discounted price because your $10 a month donation to support us on Patreon means you get the live stream for free. You get free live stream tickets and you get the live stream replay, which only lives on our Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash body, support us at $10 a month or up. You get free tickets, you get the replay, you get so much more just for supporting us on Patreon. Thanks in advance for your support. Well, that's our time together for this week. But before I go, I want to say thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Thank you to Donal Mooney, to Mosa Maxwell-Smith, to Joe Moore, to David Grossoff, to podcast producer Marty Garcia, and this week to Bearded Scotsman Audio. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie De La Tour. This has been episode 182 of the Body Storytelling Podcast. See you next week, pervert. <laughs>